You are listening to a sermon from Linworth Road Church. For more information about Linworth Road Church, please visit www.linworthroadchurch.com. Okay, I got a confession to make this morning. Yeah, I know. Oh, really? I succumbed. I woke up this morning, kind of go over my notes, and it was 61 degrees in my house, and I turned on the heat. So, just wanted to put that out there that I that uh, my first day I turned on the heat. So, anyways, but um, you know, the Good Samaritan, most uh, everyone, whether you have been churched or in church or whatever, has likely heard or read the story of the Good Samaritan. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, and we're walking our way, if you're new with us, through the Gospel of Luke here. And it's, it's so familiar that it's really kind of a part of the English language. We have a, even have a law called the Good Samaritan Law, and it's actually in all 50 states. And so uh, the idea here is that you won't get sued for being nice to somebody and, uh, you know, helping them out, uh, a stranger in, in need here. So the Good Samaritan story is a parable told uh, by Jesus to a man who had approached him and ident- who was identified as an expert in the law, the Mosaic law. And so this expert in the law asked Jesus what he had to do to inherit eternal life. And as it say, says to specifically in the text, and we'll see in just a moment, in order to test Jesus. And so from this point on, as Jesus is walking towards the cross here, he's going to come across a few different people who are going to challenge him and try to, try to trip him up here. So let's go ahead and let's read the whole section uh, to get started here. It's, it's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. It's found on page 869 uh, in your pew Bibles. And so uh, why don't you go ahead and stand and we'll go ahead and read God's word. Okay, starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to a place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal. He brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever uh, more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's powerful. It, it has not just information, but it has heart messages. It has, your word pierces us. It, it talks to us, Lord. And 
Um, I just pray for my friends here and myself that we would open ourselves up to be able to hear what you might have for us. Uh, perhaps the challenges you might have for us, the changes in, in our life that you might want to make. Uh, that you would just assure us of, of your love for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you go ahead and take a seat. Okay, verse 25, starting at verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer, in this case uh, we know that it's an expert in a Mosaic law, stood up to put him specifically to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit inter- eternal life? And so this guy, is, is uh, he knew his stuff. He's an expert in the law. He would be like one of those people you'd go to when you had a biblical question, like Corey Bacher. It's like, Corey? I got a question about the Old Testament. And so uh, we would ask Corey, and of course he would have the answer. And Corey, if you're here, I'm not, you're not this dude, okay? We're just, we're going to separate that. You can come talk to me later if you feel bad, okay? All right. But uh, the, this teacher, he would, he, he would understand that you had to keep the law in order to gain eternal life. That's what he had learned. And by this time, Judaism had gotten pretty weird. It had reduced godliness to a list of rules and rituals that were so complicated that nobody really could keep up with it or keep them. And it was missing the backbone of the law that it was by faith that we are counted righteous, not by keeping of all the little parts of the law. And so I think we can assume that he thought that Jesus was teaching a different message and that's why he was asking this question. And so this question challenged the central message that, had, that Jesus has been walking through giving this whole time of his ministry when he started his public ministry. Uh, several times on several different uh, occasions, he's forgiving sins, he's casting out demons, he's healing, and he's declaring that their faith, these people's faith, had saved them. We find that in, in Luke chapter 5 and chapter 7 and chapter 8. On it goes. He says, you know, of the woman, he says, your faith has saved you. And so we see a little bit of a different message here. And so the lawyer, he hoped to catch Jesus, you know, declaring this instead of the keeping of the Judaic law. And so getting back to the question, and it's a great question, right? Even though he's trying to to trip up Jesus, it's a question that every person really should ask, right? That every person should wrestle with. But I want you to notice something. Even here in the beginning of this, I wanted to point something out. He kind of starts off with a little bit of a faulty premise here. Um, Where does he put the responsibility for inheriting heaven here? Okay? He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so he sees it as his responsibility to gain salvation, to gain heaven, something that he must do, and that's his understanding. And so Jesus answers him with a question, turning the question kind of back onto him. Verse 26, he says, he said to him, what is written in the law? Tell me, how do, you, how do you read it? Why don't you tell me what you think uh, the answer is? And so the man answers, and he says in verse 27, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so this man had kind of taken from Deuteronomy 6 and, and um, Leviticus 19, and, um, and, and he comes up with this, this answer here. And, of course, this is quoted by Jesus in Matthew 25 when he was asked what the greatest commandments were. And so then now Jesus answers here. And so as we, we're going to kind of walk through this here, and then we're going to get to some practicals here in just a little bit. And so, and, and Jesus answers, he says, bingo. And that's, that's in your Bible, right? 
bingo, right? No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He says, good answer. He told the man that he was correct and that by doing this, he would live. And in verse, for so first part of tw- uh, verse 28 says, and he said to him, you have answered correctly. Uh, in essence, a good answer. And then he adds, oh, and, and by the way, do this and you will live. Now, at this point in here, based on kind of the next question that the man's going to ask, we can assume that maybe he was asking, uh, looking for a different uh, answer, an easier one, or that Jesus would say something that he could, that he could catch him on. And I can imagine this man, that this, his wheels were beginning to, to spin a little bit. He may be feeling a little trapped himself here because if he's honest, he knows that it's not possible. He can't keep all these laws. And the reality of this is that Jesus kind of laid down back to him this, this, this perfection gauntlet on him. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Simple, isn't it? It's all we need to do. Just be, in essence, perfect. According to this man's answer, what God demands for people to receive salvation from heaven, it's not very difficult. It's pretty, pretty simple. Just love God at all times. Your words, your actions, your thoughts, your deeds, every, every, you know, whatever's going through your mind right now. Yeah. And, and then, then we're supposed to love people around us perfectly. Not grumbling, not complaining, with a smile. Um, you know, uh, our kids, right? Kind to our kids, never, never sinning against them. Yeah, yeah, we got a couple of shaked heads over here. Never a wrong sexual thought in her mind. It's easy. No problem. We can do this, right? We're, we're all there. Everybody with me? Yeah. Okay. Um, you're always patient. He says, do this and you will live. Jesus says, this is pretty simple stuff. And so Jesus invited the man to practice what he preached and to bank on his good works being enough to earn eternal life in the kingdom. And so, so, so Jesus is kind of playing with him here somewhat. And at this point, the attorney goes, oh, wait, 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 wait a second here. And so as a, you know, like all good practitioners, practitioners of the law, sorry for you lawyers here, uh, he started looking for loopholes. Yeah, how, how can I get around this thing here, okay? And we know this because Luke tells us that the man wanted to justify himself. So the scripture says that he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to be right with God on his, his own merits. He's trying to lower the bar so that it'll be okay. So he asked Jesus another question. Why not? Right? And he says, well, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And just a, a little bit of a, a touch of a background here is that when the man is, you know, he quoted in, from Leviticus 19 about loving your neighbor, and that's in verse 27, um, you know, the NIV study Bible, you know, s- says that he's assuming a context here. The context here in that context is, is that that neighbor would be considered a Jewish person as his neighbor, okay? But I think he's in for a surprise here. Jesus responded to this question with a parable, the Good Samaritan parable. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and read it again. I, was, I wasn't sure where I was going to read it again, but I'm just going to do it just so you can get it in your mind a little bit more. Jesus replied, uh, verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and, de- and departed, leaving him half dead. So he's half naked, half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, which is kind of like a junior priest, 
when he came to the, the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and then he picked him up and he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Now he stayed with this man for an, an entire night because it says, and then the next day he took out two denarii, which is like a couple days worth of, of wages. I mean, a lot of money here. And he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when, when I come back. And so the Samaritan here, he's kind of like the unlikely hero in this story. And it would have been pretty shocking for uh, this man to, to hear that. Since Samaritans and Jews, as we have learned, um, they despised each other. They really hated each other. A couple chapters ago, we talked about, um, you know, James and John. And uh, Jesus was going into a town, a Samaritan town. The Samaritans didn't want anything to do with them because, um, yeah, well, it's a long story, but... Um, what did they do? They wanted to call fire down on him just because they dissed Jesus and they just wanted to burn him up. And so, uh, that's, so that's kind of what we're dealing with here between the Jews uh, and the Samaritans. But Jesus used a character, a person here, the Samaritan, who could have not have been more different than from this guy that's asking the question. And so it had to be jarring. It had to be shocking for, for the hero of the story now to be this, this Samaritan. So the parable is Jesus' answer to this religious leader's question. He wanted to know how low he could lower his obligation and still please God. And so he asked, who is my neighbor? But in the end, all that he gets from Jesus is what? An answer? No. He gets another question. All right? Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. Okay, so this is, this is important here. So what just happened here is Jesus basically kind of turned things around. He kind of took the question, he kind of reframed the discussion here by asking the question that, that this teacher of the law, really what Jesus probably really wanted him uh, to ask. So instead of asking, who am I required to love, who is my neighbor? The question he should have been asking is this, who can I be a loving neighbor to? Who can I be a loving neighbor to? In essence, Jesus asked this question, are you a neighbor? Are you a neighbor? And that's the relevant question here. To whom will I be a neighbor? To who will you be a neighbor? And I think we can say, and I think it's pretty clear here, um, that the, the answer that the man gave, that he was probably pretty reluctant about it because he, he refused to say that it was a Samaritan. He said this, and so when Jesus asked him this question, he said, the one who showed him mercy. He just couldn't, couldn't come out with the word Samaritan here. And so Jesus answers him, you go and do likewise. You be the neighbor. So let's go there. What does it mean to be a neighbor? And let's look at what it means to love my neighbor, to who I am to be a neighbor to. Now, the way I want to set this up here, it, it's really important, and I want to use one word, okay? And this word speaks very powerfully into answering to where our actions come from or, or what we're supposed to see uh, in this situation. It's the word that Jesus used for what the good 
Samaritan felt when he came upon the man who was beaten and was half dead on the side of the road. And that's the word compassion. Compassion. Look back with me at verse 33. It says that, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So in the Greek, it's a really long word. I mean, S-P-L-A-N-C-H-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. It's kind of like supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, okay, but in the Greek, okay? But really, it's pronounced uh, splanknizami, or excuse me, splanknizami. You guys really needed to know that. That's the only thing you're going to take home with you today. But I want you to feel and understand the depth of this, this word, okay? Because this sets everything up here. So that Greek word we translate as compassion. Uh, and in the Greek, it means pity from your deepest soul. So it's, it's almost like an emotion you can't control. One commentator put it this way, as it's a love so deep-seated that it comes from your gut, that it's gut-wrenching. And then this is here where it connects for us. It's the same word used to describe Jesus when he responded to the needs of others. Time after time after time. In Matthew 9, 36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with gut-wrenching compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Matthew 14, 14 says, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with gut-wrenching compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And there's just, there's, there, that's just two. There's multiple verses that the word is used of Jesus. Before he healed the blind, before he healed the leper. And in Mark 6, 34, here's another one. And Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude, was moved with compassion for them. When the dead man was carried out with him and his mother was crying, he said, this, this crying, he had compassion. And so this is the depth of the love that God has for you and for me. And so we're drawing this picture of the Samaritan having compassion for this man who is half dead, who, by the way, um, is a Jew. And, uh, and I would say, I won't say that we're like 100.100%, <laughs> but pretty much 95% sure, uh, based on everything in the, of here, that he would have been a Jew. So here's the question, who's your neighbor? Well, I think the parable kind of blows open the door of who our neighbor is here. The short and the non-complicated answer is anyone the Lord brings into our path who is in need, okay? That's, that's the short, non-complicated. It doesn't bring into place, you know, what's really going on there, the level, uh, the discernment needed, all those types of things, okay? But when we look at the Samaritan and the Jew, they could have been, uh, have less in common. One commentator stated this. He said that, that, the, he said that the Samaritan had to cross this incredible social barrier. Jesus is clearly describing here that one's neighbor reached beyond ethnic and community lines. So it wasn't uh, you know, Samaritan to Samaritan, Jew to Jew, uh, whoever you are to somebody else who is just like you in the same economic strata you are, who, you know, white to white, black to black, Chinese to Chinese. It wasn't anything, but he's, he's, the Samaritan is crossing, opening up, blowing this, this up. And we all realize and know that it's really a lot easier. It's kind of natural to help those who are like us, right? It's those that we identify with. 
those that we don't really have issues with, maybe those that we trusted because we know them and maybe they're just in a bad place and, and that's kind of easy to go to. But I think the picture Jesus is drawing here is that we are supposed to help people that he puts in front of us, especially those with whom we have little in common. Tim Keller in his book Generous Justice said this, said we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, and religion, is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother or sister in the faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. So let's take a look at who our neighbor is by the way of the story that we have here, by the way of the parable. The first, who is our neighbor? The undeserving. We got the traveler on the road, all right? And, you know, you take a look at this guy here, and you could probably say that he should have known better. He was by himself. He's traveling on this road. It's called the Bloody Way. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a bad road to be on. It's kind of, you know, it's like Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like 3,000 feet of, of decline in it. There's rocky outcroppings. There's places where people can hide. And a lot of people get robbed, and a lot of not good stuff happens there. And so you could probably say that about a lot of people that get themselves into situations where, you know, they probably should have thought a little bit, bit better. You know, they get themselves in a pickle, in a bad situation, and it's really only, they only have themselves to blame. And that's what we say, well, it's, you know, if you wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't be in the situation, and therefore you wouldn't be asking for help, or I wouldn't see that you needed help here. And so we can say all kinds of things we tend to say when we don't want to help somebody, right? We can kind of just shift it very easily onto somebody else. It's his fault. He made his bed. He's got to sleep in it, right? Isn't that, that, that what we would say? So does God call us to love even the undeserving, even the ones who brought trouble on themselves by their own bad choices? And the answer is obvious. Yes, he does. What about the overlooked? The man was left for dead here in the parable. Uh, he was overlooked by two religious men who saw his wounded body and they looked at him, they crossed to the other side, they decided not to get involved. And so am I a neighbor to, pe am I a neighbor to people when others have turned away from them? Maybe. It's possible that God may call you to help someone that everybody else has overlooked. Maybe it's just you who God helps you lock on to somebody who is in need. And other people, you know, maybe they see, but it doesn't connect with their heart. But you, you see them, and God shows you them. They've been overlooked, and they can, God connects them with you. Think about this. You may be the one chosen by God to be the channel for his love and to help someone that no one else can or will help. And sometimes that's why God has you, you know, walking on that particular road on that particular day. Maybe, you are partic maybe he has you driving down a different way to work for some reason. Or maybe you, 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 you walk into a restaurant, you walk into a, a coffee shop, and there's somebody there. And you normally don't go there, but on that particular day, on that particular time, God has you. And to see that particular person in that particular situation, 
God may place it on your heart to help when others won't. How about a third? How about your enemies? The injured Jewish man was the enemy of the Samaritan who helped him, okay? Not only that, as we, we have already stated um, here, and as a message to all of us, and as a message to the lawyer here also, Jesus made the hero of the story a Samaritan, the enemy to the Jewish man, but yet we know in the scriptures that we are called to love our enemies. In Luke chapter 6, in Proverbs 25, it says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And you can read the rest of that scripture and, and wrestle with that, that one, <laughs> those of you that know that scripture. But our enemy, what are we supposed to do? Get away from him or run from him? No. Jesus calls us to something higher, something different here. So what about the unattractive? So Jesus didn't give all the little nitty-gritty of what was going on and, and you know, how bad this guy was beaten up, how bloody, how bloody he was. But this, let's just say we could probably assume that the victim did not look really good, okay? And, uh, and that may have been maybe part of the problem, why the other two had passed him by. They just like, ah, I can't deal with that. You know, blood makes me, I faint. It's not a good situation here. Um, but, but the Samaritan, the Samaritan acts. He was willing to bend down. He was willing to get dirty, helping out a total stranger. You know, sometimes people's lives are just messy. They're, they're just messy. And it can be kind of tempting to think that, ah, I'm going go to I'm gonna stay out of that because I, I know I go into, I, if I go through that door, I, I, you know, I got a feeling this is going to take a while. It's going to take some time. It's going to be messy. And I'm not sure I want to go there. I'm not sure I want to get involved. I'm going to stay out of it. And maybe it's, it is true that some problems are too messy for us to fix. It is. There, there are some things in people's lives that God brings to us um, truly, we do not have the capacity or the capability uh, to fix that person's problem. But I don't know if that's the call here. I don't know if that's really all of the call is to fix people's lives. I think a part of what it is is for us to notice and to come alongside and, and to help what we can do to help a neighbor, even when that brings us to our, our last point here, and that is when it is inconvenient or even costly. It says, verses 34 and 35, Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, took care of him, stayed with him. The next day he took out two denarii, money, gave them to the innkeeper, said, look after him. Uh, he said, it wasn't like, hey, good luck. Here's some money. I'm out of here. Mm. He basically promised, I'm going to return. I'm going to check up on this guy here, and I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And so, you know, when we love as Jesus does, there are costs. And I'm not talking just financial costs here, all right? Remember the word compassion, gut-wrenching emotion uh, uh, um, that moved Jesus that we talked about here? Um, there are emotional costs to loving your neighbor, this past week, I was talking to this one person, and I was, I, had, I was having a conversation, you know, with that person. 
and, um, and just listening to that person's story, and it was just like, man, it just like, it just punched me. It just hit me in the gut, and, and, um, and, and I wasn't sure what to do. It just kind of set me back. Um, as a matter of fact, I was telling, I don't know who I was telling, one of the other pastors here that, that um, it just, um, it, it kind of messed with my preparation. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was trying to, 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 to take this in and try to figure out how to help this one particular person. And so there are emotional costs to loving your neighbor. And then there can be financial costs. There can be personal risk. Uh, it can be inconvenient. My wife and I, we've had, um, and we've told stories here from the pulpit here, you know, and if you're a pastor, and, it's, and you know, there's, you obviously get involved in a lot of people's lives, but this would be not even as a pastor, but um, in situations that have been inconvenient and costly, emotional, financially challenging, uh, dangerous, drugs, alcohol, abuse, we've, you know, and I may have shared this, we've had people in our house with our little kids who are, are on drugs and coming off of drugs, and we got our kids locked in our bedroom with us, and we're, we're just trying to figure out how do we can help this person, how our neighbor who, who has come. We've, you know, uh, taking in, talking to people and, and in abusive situations, and, and it gets messy. It gets messy. It's inconvenient, and it can be costly. You know, as a matter of fact here, I'm preparing this message, and um, <laughs> I literally, I, I kid you not, I received nine phone calls, okay, uh, with this situation, a different situation, with somebody who needed some help. And I'm going like, really, Lord? This message? These people? Those phone calls. And, uh, and so, man, I'm wrestling with this thing, you know? He has a sense of humor. And so I'm figuring out, how do I do this? How do I be a neighbor to these people? Um, I can't fix it, but I can help some. I can figure that out, but it's, you know, it's got to be the attitude of the heart here moving, you know, towards this. So in reality, we don't need to ask the person, who is my neighbor? The parable is teaching us this thing right here. In Jesus' kingdom, my neighbor can be any person that I come into contact with. Anyone I come in contact with. The story of the Good Samaritan, it cuts us to the quick, doesn't it? Okay? It forces us to ask, what kind of neighbor am I? Are we like the, perhaps, the priest and the Levite? Too busy to get involved, maybe a little bit of afraid. Are we, or you know, are we too clean and too proper to get dirty? Too preoccupied, our schedule is too full to get involved. Too financially protective with our money, our resources to give our money. Too careful to risk the unknown. See, this whole incident began with a man asking how he could inter- inherit eternal life. But in the end of this. He wanted to know how he could earn it by his obedience to the law. In the parable, Jesus asked him and asks us, do you still want to depend on your obedience to the law? You know, in all of this, there's kind of an unanswered question lingering, and that's that. Are you still interested in justifying yourself, Mr. Lawman? Are you stuck there, never truly receiving God's grace of love and freedom? Or are you now ready to admit that you cannot earn eternal life by your religious performance? 
Jesus was working on this man's hearts in a lot of different ways here. In my study, and we're going to begin to finish up here, in my study of the parable, I came across some messages that reminded me of a way, and I remember this, that helped me to articulate another way to kind of look at this parable, uh, which I'm, I'm going to uh, generously, very generously borrow from here. In the end, we do not understand Jesus' parable until we put ourselves in the proper place in the story. Let's go ahead and have um, the worship team uh, make their way up here. We tend to read it as if we are only meant to find ourselves in the people who pass by the helpless man. So you guys, you know, which person am I here in this story here? And so sometimes it's, it's by, we put ourselves, oh, it's the people that pass them by. I don't feel really good about myself. In that case, the most important question remains this. Will you show love or will you ignore the needs that are right in front of you? And as we have seen, uh, it's an important question for us to ask as followers of Jesus. And maybe for some, we see ourselves as the Good Samaritan. Maybe, yeah, I'm, I'm like the Good Samaritan, and I'm always there. And, and, and can I, I just want to pause for a second here, and I just want to recognize that we do have some amazing Good Samaritans in our body here. There are things that you guys do. You step up, you see it, somebody in need, and you're there. At times we don't even know about it, other stories that we hear about it. And, and, um, and so there are, and we want to thank you for that. But this here where I wanted to go. When we step back and we look at the bigger picture, we see that we actually bear more spiritual resemblance to the helpless man dying by the side of the road than we do to the Samaritan, okay? Unless somebody comes and rescues us, unless somebody comes to rescue him with sacrificial neighbor-type love, as Jesus was explaining here, he's going to perish, and so in the same way, we are in this desperate need of somebody to show love to us in our sin-sick condition that we are. From that perspective, we can see that Jesus is the Good Samaritan. It's Jesus who is the Good Samaritan. He came to us while we were still his enemies. He met us when we were dead in our sins and, his, and trespasses. He fulfilled the requirements and paid the price so that our souls... Okay, our soul wounds, not those physical wounds, but our soul wounds might be healed. And it's only by trusting in Christ's death and resurrection for us that we can inherit eternal life. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you're here. And maybe you're that guy and you're just feeling beat up by life and, and, and circumstances that happen in your life, work, relationships, uh, you know, drug, alcohol abuse, and you feel like you've been left for dead and that nobody cares about you. The Good Samaritan Jesus sees you and he wants to lift you up and he wants to pour oil out of you. He wants to heal you. And where he wants to heal you is in your soul. He wants you to recognize him. He wants to give yourself up to him. He says that he will save you. He will forgive you. And you will have eternal life. If that's you this morning, just ask Jesus to do that for you. Just confess to him, I need that. I need, I'm, that's me. I'm there. I'm there. I need you. Will you lift me up? And he'll say yes. The Bible just asks us to believe that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Savior, that he died on a cross for our sins, that he rose again, he conquered death, 
that he paid our debt so that we might have eternal life forever. That's God calling you this morning. He's calling you this morning to him. Once we have understood that truth, we will find that we are able to truly extend ourselves in love towards those who are in physical and spiritual need. Once we understand, once God's grace floods us, once we remember those of us who are Christ followers of God's grace towards us, what happens? We receive grace, we give grace back. And so we find that we really are able to extend ourselves in love to those in need. And this is where that compassion we talked about early on, that Splunk Nizamai comes into place. A heart that has been touched by the unmerited love of Christ will be moved to show that love to others who may not deserve it, that is the power of grace. Jesus has loved you. Jesus has loved me. Go and do likewise. Amen. Father Jesus, Lord, thank you for your words, Lord. I pray as we worship you, as we give back to you, Lord, Lord, will your words resonate in our hearts? Who are we here? If we have not accepted you as our Lord and Savior, Lord, may that transaction be completed here this morning as people move from death to life. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.